your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke, Luke 17. Now, if you've been in our Sunday school class the last little bit, you're like, well, that sounds very familiar, preacher. And uh, you'd be right about that because we, we've been studying about offenses and forgiveness and, and things like that. But uh, in Luke 17 and verse number 20, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, everything, everything transitions And Jesus begins to teach uh, a different group, and he begins to teach a different lesson. And so we're going to begin our our study tonight in verse number 20, Luke 17 and verse number 20. And we're going to read a little more scripture than we normally would, but I I feel like it's important that we read all this scripture tonight. So when you find your places tonight in Luke 17, if you're able to stand, let's all stand tonight uh, out of respect for the reading of God's word and also give you one last opportunity to stretch your legs. And I'm not going to be lengthy tonight. This is a two-part, this is a two-part message. I had already planned on breaking it up. There's no way I'll get it all done tonight. It might be really a three-part, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but but we'll, we'll see what happens. But I'm just going to give you the first part, to, part tonight, and we'll, we'll have you out of here and let you get home and get some rest. But look at Luke 17 and verse number 20. The Bible says, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the sons of man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth under the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it was was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also, as it was on the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop And his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now, we're going to get through this. And boy, you talk about temptation. We're not going to get all the way through it tonight. But we will get through it. And so, and I, I believe it'll be uh, of interest to you. So you may be seated tonight, and I'm just going to give you the, the introduction, just going to give you the first part of the message tonight as we talk about the second coming of Christ. And so uh, uh, 
I, I believe the message tonight will be informative. I, I hope it'll be a help to you. And so let's just see where the Lord takes us. Let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for uh, a wonderful day at Calvary. Thank you for your sweet and wonderful spirit. And God, thank you for the uh, great spirit of our people. Thank you for giving us the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. God, thank you for letting me pastor a congregation that not only loves the Lord, but they love each other. And I pray, God, that it, it shall, shall ever be that way until we hear the trumpet sound. God, keep us heading in the right direction. Help us to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is honoring Christ and glorifying the Lord and seeing people come into the kingdom. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll direct our, our thoughts tonight, our paths tonight. And I pray that we'll uh, say something that would be a help and a blessing and encouragement. God, would you give us a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. And Lord, I hunger to learn this book like never before. Fill me with the Spirit of God, Lord, and use us tonight, please, for your honor and your praise and your glory. We love you and praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's talk about the second coming of Christ tonight. And let me begin by saying this, that the second coming of Christ will occur in two stages, in two stages. You say, Brother Pope, what are you talking about? Well, the first stage will be what we talked about several weeks ago. The first stage of the second coming of Christ will be what's known as the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church. We took old service a week or two ago, and we talked about the rapture of the church. The second stage, now again, understand, it's all referred to as the second coming of Christ. And so just to make sure that, that we're not confused tonight, I'm going to refer to it in this way. The first stage is the rapture of the church. The second stage is what we call the second advent. The second advent. Or the physical return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Now, there are some who would have you believe that the rapture of the church is not going to happen at all. Now, they, they say that that's just something that you know fundamentalists believe and that's just something that you know, people down at Calvary Baptist Church, that's something that believe, they believe down there at Calvary. And uh, some theologians would have you believe that, that basically that there will be one major event at the second coming of Christ. Now, uh, I have a Thompson chain. In fact, I probably have several Thompson chains, actually. Uh, and it's a, great, it's a great Bible. It's a great study Bible. Uh, but I would tell you this about the Thompson chain. Frank Thompson believed that. He believed there was going to be one universal judgment. And that there was no rapture, no rapture of the church, just one, uh, one coming of the Lord. And when the Lord comes, there'll be one gigantic judgment that will take place. And the saved will be in that judgment. And the lost will be in that judgment. And we'll all be judged together. We don't believe that at Calvary Baptist Church. We believe very much in the second coming of Christ. But we believe the second coming of Christ will come in two stages. The rapture of the church and the second advent. Now, church, although these two events are intertwined, they're very different in nature. And so I want to give you, real quickly today, I want to give you six examples of what I'm talking about. In fact, I, want to, I believe I'm going to show you irrefutable proof tonight that, that the rapture of the church and the second advent cannot be the same event. They're, they're two different events. And so six examples 
of what I'm talking about tonight. Number one, I wrote this down. In the rapture, listen to this. In the rapture, Christians are caught up to be with the Lord in the air. Now, that's very important. Christians in the rapture, Christians are caught up to be with the Lord in there. But I want to show it to you. I don't want you just to believe it because I say it. I want to show it to you. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And look at verse number 16. And Paul, the apostle, talking to the the church of Thessalonica, talks about this first stage of the second coming, the rapture of the church. And look what he tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 16. Paul says, For the Lord himself shall ascend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Look at this. The Bible says, And the dead in Christ shall what? The dead in Christ shall rise first, verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught, what's it say? We're gonna be caught up, the Bible says, uh, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where? In the air, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So again, this is very simple tonight, but I believe this is a, I believe this is well worth our time. In the rapture, Christians are caught up. They're caught up to be with the Lord in the air. You say, okay, preacher, so Christians are caught up. That's right. But in the second coming, in the second coming, or what we refer to as the second advent, the Lord comes down to the earth. And so in the rapture of the church, that first stage, you and I, we're caught up. In fact, the Bible says we're not only caught up, we're caught up into the air to meet the Lord. But in the second advent, the Lord comes down to the earth, all right? We're gonna look at a lot of places tonight. So turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one. And I've got numbers of scriptures tonight. Again, I'm just going over my outline trying to think, Lord, which ones do I take our folks to? Uh, Acts chapter one, and look at verse number 10. In the rapture of the church, we are caught up. But in the second coming of the Lord, the Lord comes down to the earth. And so two different directions here. Acts chapter one, look at verse number 10. Now this is talking about the ascension of Jesus when the Lord Jesus was called away from his disciples. Acts chapter one, verse number 10. And while they, the disciples, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went, how did he go? As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? Look at this. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So this is what those angels said. Fellas, just like you've seen him go up, one of these days, he's coming down. He's coming down. Uh, He went up in clouds. He's coming down in clouds. And so the rapture of the church, Christians are caught up in the air to be with the Lord. But in the second coming or the second advent, the Lord comes down to the earth. You don't have to turn now. I'll just read this for you. Revelation chapter one and verse seven. The Bible says, behold, he, Jesus, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. Now that's very different than the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, and we'll get into a little bit more of this later on down the road. The rapture of the church is gonna be very secretive. It's gonna be suddenly. It's gonna be something that takes place in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, we, we talked about that a week or two ago. Uh, but the second advent of, of, of the Lord is something that everyone is going to see. 
Uh, also, I want to draw your attention to the book of Zechariah, if you will, uh, which is a book we don't always go to, but whenever you're studying prophecy, and especially the second coming of Christ, uh, Zechariah is a great prophetical book to go to. And so look, if you will, at Zechariah chapter number 14. It's right there toward the very end of your Old Testament. And so if you, if you find Malachi, just back up just a little bit, and you'll find Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 14. And uh, look, if you will, at verse number one. The Bible says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. I'm reading in Zechariah 14 verse two now. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Look at verse four. The Bible says, and his feet, the Lord's feet, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, a very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south. Now, folks, there's no mistaking that right there. The Lord Jesus said, I'm not only coming down at the second advent, but I'm going to plant my feet on the Mount of Olives. Physically, I'm going to plant my feet on the Mount of Olives. And when he does that, the Bible says the Mount of Olives is going is to cleave uh, in two. Uh, and there's going to be a great valley there. And so again, we're seeing a difference here. In the rapture of the church, Christians are caught up. In the second advent, Jesus will come down. Number next is this. In the rapture, again, this is so important. In the rapture, Christ is coming for his saints. Christ is coming for his saints. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of John, the gospel of John, and chapter number 14 tonight. And look, if you will, at verse number, uh, verse number two. John 14, verse number two. Familiar passage of scripture. You've read it many times. I've read it many times. John 14, verse two. Look what the Lord says. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, look what he says. I will come again. And receive you, that's you and me, by the way, and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So in the rapture, Christ is coming for his saints. In the second advent, Christ is coming with his saints. Now there's a difference. And for all those people who say, you know what, there's no such thing as the rapture. There's just going to be one second coming and there's going to be one general judgment. It's going to be saved and lost and we're all going to be together. And that's how it's going to happen. Listen, friend, I'm just telling you that there is a big, big difference between the rapture of the church and the second advent. In the rapture, Christians are called up. In the second advent, Jesus will come down. In the rapture, Jesus is coming for his saints. In the second coming, Christ is coming with his saints. Listen, you don't have to turn there. Listen to Jude 1 and verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them. And so there's a big difference. Now, this is intro, so i got to get through this. But there's a big difference in the rapture, the first stage, and the second stage. But there's something else. In order for the rapture to occur, listen to this, 
In order for the rapture to occur, not one solitary thing needs to be fulfilled. Amen. Now, again, this is a little bit, a little, little review. And if you were in the service a few weeks ago, you remember we said this about the rapture. The rapture of the church is imminent. It's imminent. And that word imminent means overhanging. It means that it could literally happen at any moment. If you've ever walked out on a cloudy day and a low clouds and, uh, and, and you look at those low clouds and you say, wow, it might start raining any minute. That's what imminent means. The rapture of the church is imminent. That means before I get done with this sermon, Jesus may come. You say, Pastor, not gonna happen. Listen, the Lord said this, when you least expect it, that's when I'm coming. And so it, I'm telling you, the rapture of the church, we talk about having service Thursday night, Lord willing, we will. Uh, Lord willing, Brother Raven will come. Lord willing, the Nun sisters will be here singing. But I'm telling us that before Thursday ever gets here, we may be in heaven. Jesus may come. There's not one solitary thing that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. But listen to what I'm about to tell you because this is where we're going to camp out for a few minutes. Prior to the second coming of Christ to the earth, there are some noticeable things that must occur. So for all those people who say it's just one big event, there is no rapture, there's just one second coming, and there's going to be one general judgment of everybody saved and lost, I'm telling you, that's not according to Scripture. The rapture is imminent. It may happen at any moment, but the second coming of Christ before Jesus comes and begins to set up his kingdom on this earth, I'm telling you, church, according to the word of God, there are some things that must happen before Jesus does that. Will you say, and by the way, I won't give you all, all of them tonight, but I want to give you four. I want to give you four things that must happen, must happen, before the second coming of Christ can occur, the second advent, that second stage. You say, well, preacher, what are they? Well, let me put a couple things up here on the screen for you. How about this? Number one, before the second coming of Christ can occur, there will be the appearance of two witnesses. Now, take your Bibles tonight, all the stuff I'm going to show you, if we have time. I want you to turn over to Revelation 11, Revelation 11, and look at verse number three with me. And then you're getting ready to listen to me, church. Man, you talk about some interesting stuff. We're getting ready to to embark upon some interesting stuff here. Uh, so hang in there with me. And uh, Revelation 11, and look at verse number three. Now this is all prior to the Lord coming and setting up his kingdom on the earth. Before that happens, the Bible's very clear about this, before that happens, there are a few things that must take place before Jesus comes and begins to, and he puts the Antichrist down and begins to set up his kingdom. Number one, there will be the appearance of two witnesses. Look at it, Revelation chapter 11, verse three. He says, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks, standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. Look at, look at verse six. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Now, I'm gonna, I, listen, I'm going to tell you something. These two witnesses, 
that the Lord's going to send to the earth during the tribulation, I'm telling you, you talk about something. This is going to be something to see. Now, we believe this, and we're not going to be dogmatic about it, and we're not going to debate about it after the service. But I'll just tell you what I believe, and you can tell me what you believe later on. But, uh, but I'm, in a good, I'm, I'm in a good group of, of uh, scholars. I'm not one of those scholars, but I'm in a good group of scholars who believe this. But we believe this. We believe that probably these characters are going to be Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Now think about it. Like Moses, they will strike the earth with plagues, the Bible says. And like Elijah, they have the power to keep it from raining on the earth. Not only that, but Jewish tradition expected both Moses and Elijah to return in the future. By the way, I got dozens of scriptures that I can give you, and I don't have time to take you to all these tonight. Let me give you something else. Both Moses and Elijah were present at the transfiguration of Jesus. And they discussed, of course, the, uh, the, the crucifixion. And it was a preview of Christ's second coming. Both Moses and Elijah used supernatural means to provoke repentance. Both of, both of those men did. Both prophets, think about this, both prophets, Moses and Elijah, disappeared somewhat mysteriously. If you remember, the Bible tells us that Elijah seemed to know that he was getting ready to be taken away. Um, and not only that, but he was taken away by, by something we'd never seen. He was taken away by a whirlwind, uh, a chariot of fire. The Bible calls it a chariot of fire. And Elijah was taken up. Remember the story? The sons of the prophets came and they tried to make Elisha feel bad and they said, let's go search for him, let's go search for him. And Elisha said, there's no use in searching for him. And they said, oh no, no, let's go search for our master. Uh, that, that wind took him and cast him on a mountain somewhere. And Elisha said, you can search if you want to, but you're not gonna find him. Right. Remember how the sons of the prophets went out and they began to search for several days and you know what happened, don't you? They didn't find him. You know why they didn't find him? Because God caught him up to heaven. Right. Not only that, but we notice that the Bible tells us that God, now think about this, God buried Moses. And so remember the Bible says that Michael and Satan sort of disputed. They disputed over the body of Moses. Satan wanted to know where the body was. And I think there's little doubt there that Satan wanted to take Moses' body and make it into a shrine, make it into something they would worship. Uh, and yet, he could not find the body of Moses. And the re reason he couldn't find the body of Moses is because God buried Moses' body so well. And so it's believed that, that the prophets, the witnesses are gonna be Moses and Elijah. But listen to this, listen to this. The length of the drought that the two witnesses bring will be three and a half years. That's the same exact amount of time that Elijah brought a drought on the earth. Now, I'm going to tell you something, church. I read that this week and studied that out, and I thought, man, you know what? There are some people who say this. We're in the tribulation right now. Let me tell you something. What we just learned is proof positive. It is proof positive we are not in the tribulation period. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Listen to this. We know without an absolute doubt we are not in the tribulation presently because, because, we have plenty of fresh water to enjoy. And so you understand that during the tribulation period, the, the resource of water is gonna be decimated. 
And with the appearance of the two witnesses, you know what's going to happen on top of that? There's going to be a drought that's going to come for three and a half years. Three and a half years. On top of that, you say, well, you know, preacher, they'll have a lot of water and storage and things like that. The Bible tells us the drinkable water will be turned to blood. You say, Pastor, you really believe that's going to happen? It's already happened. It happened in Moses' day. It's why Pharaoh eventually let the children of Israel go. And so, and, and I, I am absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, I am absolutely convinced of something, that in the tribulation period, seven years of tribulation, in this tribulation period, the thing that will be battled over in the tribulation will not be money. And it will not be oil. It will be water. And I'm pretty convinced of this. People will kill just for some fresh water. That's going to happen. And so these witnesses are going to come and they're going to pronounce plagues upon the earth and they're going to cause it not to rain for, for three and a half years. But watch this, watch this. These two witnesses, the Bible says, will eventually be killed. They'll be killed by the Antichrist. And then our Bible tells us that their bodies will be left in the streets to decay for three and a half days. Their bodies will be, they'll be killed and their dead bodies are left in the street right where they're killed. They're left in the street and decomposition will probably begin to set in. So this week I studied this out. I know this is gross. But this week I studied this out and we got a lot of health people in this room. You know this already. But they tell us this, rigor mortis sets in within about four to six hours. It already, begin to, it already begins to set in into the body. These bodies are gonna be laying on the street for three and a half days in the hot sun. And the Bible says that nobody's gonna bury them. In fact, they're not only not going to bury them, you know what's gonna happen? They're gonna celebrate the Bible says they're going to celebrate and they're going to be, they're going to be buying gifts and they're going to be you know, sh uh, sharing gifts with one another and they're going to be celebrating because these two witnesses that caused the drought and turned water to blood and brought the plagues, finally these two witnesses are dead and the earth is going to celebrate their, their death. They're going to celebrate. The Antichrist has finally put them down and they'll be forbidden to bury them and their dead bodies will, will lay on the earth. And if there's internet in that day and time, I believe that they're going to have a, they're going to have some type of a tribulation cam and it's going to be focused on those dead bodies. And you can go to the internet and you'll be able to see these dead bodies laying there and they'll rejoice and they'll say, yay, yay, the Antichrist uh, was victorious over the two witnesses. But that victory and that celebration is short-lived. Because three and a half days after their dead bodies lay in the streets, God raises them back to life again. Look at it in your Bibles. Look at Revelation 11 and verse number 7. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's Jerusalem. 
And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. I guess so. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying to them, come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. Now again, I'm just, I'm trying to make a point where we're just sort of uh, giving you a few other things while we're trying to make this point. But I'm just telling you this, that the rapture of the church, the first stage of the second coming is very different from the last stage of the second coming. Uh, in the rapture of the church, there's not one solitary thing that needs to be fulfilled. It may happen tonight, but the second coming of Christ, before that second coming of Christ can take place, the second advent, and Jesus comes to the earth and sets his feet on the, the Mount of Olives and begins to set up his kingdom on the earth, there will be the appearance of two witnesses. But we gotta hurry. Number next is this. There will be the acceptance of a new world order. I'm talking about before that second stage takes place. There'll be an acceptance of a new world order. Can I show it to you? Take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 13 and look at verse number 15. Revelation 13 and verse number 15. The Bible says, and he had power. He had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause it as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Look at verse 16, verse 16. And he, the Antichrist, and he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred three score and six. In other words, six, six, six. That will be the number of the beast. And so our Bible says that when the Antichrist comes on the scene, there's going to be the acceptance of a new world order. In other words, there's going to be a mark. There's going to be a number. Boy, aren't you glad, church? Jesus knows you by name. Amen. The Antichrist is going to know you by a number. And there's going to be a number that's given to every single person. And you'll have to have that number. You'll have to have that mark. And if you, if you don't have that mark, you'll not, be able to, you'll not be able to buy or sell or anything like that. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Years and years ago, uh, and some of these fellows have a, a few years on me. Years and years ago, we used to wonder, how is this going to be possible? I mean, how, how could, you know, How's this going to work? I mean, with, with, with the present technology, but now we don't even wonder because the technology is literally unfolding right before our eyes. I'm telling you, church, what we are studying in this book is actually happening right now. It's happening. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? How many, how many, how many of you use Amazon occasionally? We don't use Amazon occasionally. We use Amazon daily sometimes. <laughs> Why go to Walmart when you can get it from Amazon? Amen. Have you heard about, have you heard about the new Amazon operating system? Uh, it, it is, listen, it is, it, it, they've not only created it, friend, it's being used right now. 
It's called Amazon One. And this is their selling points. I'm just gonna read it for you. Amazon One, one scan does it all. Amazon One simplifies everyday interactions. It's a free, contactless service that lets you use your palm to pay, enter, or identify yourself. Listen to this. A quick and easy way. I didn't, I didn't write this down. This is Amazon. A quick and easy way to make a payment, enter a venue, or identify yourself. You will walk in. You will not need a card. You will not need a chip. You will wave your palm. And by the waving of your palm, they'll either let you in or you'll be denied. Friend, make no mistake about this. That is a sign of the times. It's coming. And this is what's gonna happen. The Antichrist is gonna, is gonna demand that everybody have this mark. And you'll, you'll not be able to have any trade of any sort unless you have the mark. That means that if you need to go to the ER and you've not received that mark, you'll, you'll get no medical assistance, no medication, no fresh water, which will, be, which will be the thing that's needed most, no food, no groceries. And we know this as well, and we're not gonna get into this tonight, but we know this as well, Early in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about the seals, the, the, uh, the seal judgments. And we know that with the opening of the seal judgments, and friend, this is just the beginning. This is not the bad stuff. This is just the beginning when the seals are opened. But just with the, with the opening of the seals, we understand that, uh, that there will be a insurmountable food shortage. Revelation 6, verse 6, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, uh, say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. See thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Why? Because there'll be no water. But the Bible says there's gonna be a shortage. Did you know that tells us this? Less than a quart of food, less than a quart of food will cost an entire day's wage during the tribulation period. And you say, preacher, what will people do who have not received that mark? You will not walk into food line if there'll be such a thing. You will not walk into food line if you do walk into food line and you fill up your grocery bag. And I'm gonna be honest with you too, you won't fill your grocery bag up. How many know this? All you history buffs out there, during World War II, there were major food shortages during World War II. You know what? During, I'm talking about in America. During World War II, you could only get so much sugar. During World War II, you could only get so much fuel. There were some things that, you know what, you were limited. Some things you had to have, uh, you had to have a, a passes for and, and things like that. Can you, that was during World War II. Can you imagine what it's going to be like during the tribulation period? When there's not enough food to go around, and then if you want some food, you'll have to have the mark. You'll have to be a part of that new one world order to buy or sell or get hospital help or anything like that. And so before the second coming of Christ, there'll be the accept, acceptance or the appearance, the appearance of two witnesses. There'll be the acceptance of a new world order. How about this quickly, quickly, number next. There will be the assembly 
of a new temple in Jerusalem. Now, this is the second stage. Rapture of the church, imminent, could happen any moment. But before Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom on the earth, we know there are some things, according to the scripture, that have to take place. Before Jesus can come and set up his kingdom, a temple is going to have to be built. You say, Pastor, where, where do you get that? Because our Bible tells us this, that the Antichrist will finally set himself up in the temple as God and demand that people worship him. It's called the abomination of desolation. Can I show it to you at least one, one place? Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're almost done with this part. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and look at verse number 1. This is pretty exciting, and I'll tell you why here in just a minute. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says here, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter uh, as, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, here it is now, church. Paul's preaching what we're preaching tonight. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin, Antichrist, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he is God, sitteth in the what? So that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So uh, he'll come on the scene as a peacemaker, and, uh, and he's going to even win the Jewish community over and Israel over. And then uh, he's going to break his covenant with Israel, and, he will, and they'll think, man, this is him. This is the man. This is the Messiah. This is him. This is the one we've been waiting on. I mean, he'll speak with a golden tongue, and, and uh, boy, it seems like he's got the answers for all the world's problems. And then about halfway through, he's going to, you know what, they're going to figure out this is not the Messiah. And our Bible says he's going to set himself up in the temple as God to be worshiped. And the Bible says what's called the abomination of desolation. In other words, those Jewish people are going to understand, wow, we missed it. This is not him. And so they will, they'll, they'll flee away. Now, you say, preacher, I thought you said this was exciting. Oh, it's real exciting. And let me tell you why it's exciting. Especially for those of you who in just a, a few months are gonna go with us to the Holy Land. One of the things that you're gonna figure out when we're over there is this, that Israel is already making plans to rebuild that temple. <laughs> I'm telling you, church, I'm not making this up. They are already in, I'm telling you, it's already in the works. They are already creating the, the utensils and the temple vessels and, uh, and the priestly garments and, and all these things are already in preparation. They are preparing for the temple to be rebuilt. Now, you say, what's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus is coming. That's what's going on. The Lord is coming. And, and the stage, listen to this, the stage is being set for that second Part, that second advent for the Lord to come. Well, let's bring this thing to a close. There'll be the appearance of two witnesses. There will be the acceptance of a new world order. There'll be the assembly 
of a new temple in Jerusalem. But look at this, and we're done tonight. There will be, before the Lord comes, there will be the activation of 144,000 Jewish soul winners or Jewish evangelists. Look in your Bibles and we're done. Revelation 7 and look at verse number 4. Revelation 7 verse 4. John the Revelator says in Revelation 7 verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed and 144,000. Look at this. Not of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And there were sealed and 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. It's interesting that immediately following that verse, we read about these great, great multitudes that are in heaven. And we believe that these 144,000 evangelists are gonna evangelize the world. Look, if you will, at Revelation 7, verse number nine. John says, after this, after I saw this 144,000, this great group of, of, of Jewish evangelists, uh, Revelation 7, verse 9, after this I beheld in law a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. We know that Matthew 24, 14 says it like this, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then, and then shall the end come. Now we're done. But listen to this thought. If 12 dedicated Jewish apostles could spread the gospel around the world, can you imagine what 144,000 divinely anointed Jews that are on fire for Jesus Christ, can you imagine what they're going to accomplish? Now, you know what that tells us? Many are going to be saved during the tribulation. Many are going to be saved. Thousands are going to be saved during the tribulation. Oh, you say, well, okay, pastor. You know what I'm going to do then? I'm just going to wait. And I'll get saved during the tribulation. I'll tell you what I believe. I'll tell you what I believe the Bible teaches. If in this church age you've had the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel, you will not have an opportunity in the tribulation period. Now, I said that one time and somebody here in the church got really mad at me and they didn't come back. I'm not saying folks aren't going to be saved. Thousands, maybe even millions are going to be saved during the tribulation period. But I am saying this. If you've heard the gospel, heard the gospel, heard the gospel, heard the gospel in this present church age, and you decide, you know what, I'm just going to wait. I'm going to reject the Lord. I'm just going to wait. According to the word of God, when the tribulation period comes, you will not get saved. But you will be sent strong delusion that you'll believe a lie. And you'll perish with the wicked. Wow. Now, take your Bibles one last place and we are done. We're done tonight. Turn to Daniel. Daniel chapter number 12. And I just want to share this thought and we're, and we're, going, to, we're going to have the invitation tonight. Did you know that just, just the fact that we know these things and that we can explain these future events, church, is evidence that the Lord is coming soon. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Look at Daniel chapter 12. 
We know that Daniel's a very prophetic book. We know that the Lord gave Daniel um, insight concerning the end times. But he gives Daniel this uh, incredible insight. And then he says to Daniel in Daniel 12, verse number four, but thou, O Daniel, look what he says to Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Did you know for years and years and years, scholars have struggled and struggled and struggled to try to figure all this out? And now, I'm telling you, friend, we're, getting, we're, we're understanding all that's going to be happening. You know why? We're in the time of the end. Amen. And God is opening our understanding. Why? Because I believe he wants, the, he wants his church ready. Brother Rodney and I went out. We went out today to get, get a bite to eat. And we were over at the restaurant and we ran into Brother Jordan Dagenhart. And uh, Brother Jordan said, Preacher, he said, Man, we had a good day at, at uh, Calvary. I think they're at Calvary too, aren't they? Is that Calvary? We had a good day at Calvary. And then he said, This, did you hear about Brother so and so up our way? He said, Man, they had 10 saved today. I said, Brother Jordan, man, listen to this. Listen, the day we had at Calvary, and I told him about our service. And, man, we were just going back and forth, and we were talking about, man, church has had a great day today. And I told Brother Ron, I said, Brother, I think something's going on. You know what I believe? I believe the Lord is getting his church ready. Because I believe we're getting ready to leave this place. Now, I'm not predicting a day or a time. I'm just telling you, I believe we're getting close. And if we've ever served the Lord, boy, we better serve the Lord now. Let's bow our heads tonight. That's just the first installment of what I want to give you. And I'll, we'll take a little time the next go around, and I'll tell you a little bit more about the second coming of Christ. You're here tonight. Maybe there's somebody here tonight. And you say, preacher, if I died tonight, I don't know that I'm ready. Or if that imminent, that imminent rapture took place tonight and the trumpet sounded and Jesus were to come tonight. Pastor, I'm not sure I'm ready. Maybe you're visiting tonight at Calvary. Maybe you're watching Boy Way of Livestream. And you'd say, Pastor, I'm not ready. Man, that's, you know, when I hear you talk about these things, I'm a little scared. I'm a little concerned. Well, number one, friend, if you've been born again, you have nothing to worry about. But if you're here tonight and you've never come to know Christ as your personal Savior, you have good reason to be concerned. And I'll tell you what I would do before you leave this place tonight. Man, I'd make my way down to an old-fashioned altar tonight and let somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven when you die. Right before we bring this service to a close, I wonder if there might be one here tonight, one here tonight who would say, Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you please remember me? Would you pray for me? Is there one, one, maybe you're visiting tonight, but you'd say, Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you please remember me? You'd slip your hand up right now. Anybody like that? Preacher, that's me. That's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. As far as I can tell, I, I, see, I see that little hand. Anybody else? 
I see another little hand right there. As far as I can tell, that's, that's the only two hands I saw. Let me ask you this, child of God, do you have loved ones that are, if something doesn't change, they're going to be here for what I talked about tonight. They're going to experience those two witnesses, the drought, the mark, that new world order, the plagues, the water turning to blood. They're going to experience all those things. You say, Brother Pope, I, I do. Preacher, I do. I, I do know some. I have some loved ones. If some, something doesn't happen, they're probably going to be here for that, okay? Would you do this tonight? Would you let the Lord build a fire in your soul to get the gospel to them, to get them to Jesus? Would you pray tonight, Holy Spirit, help me to be a witness. Help me to be a soul winner. I'm not one of those 144,000, but Lord, would you help me to be a soul winner? And God, help me to get my kids, help me to get my loved ones to Jesus before it's eternally too late. If you'll do that, I'm going to ask you to just talk to the Lord tonight and commit yourself to the Lord. Would you stand with us all over the house tonight? And if you're here tonight and we can help you or pray with you, hey, listen, we're going to have some personal workers in the altars this evening. And, and if you need prayer, they'll be glad to pray with you tonight, okay? And so you come while we wait. Father, thank you for this time we've had together. I hope we've learned something. I hope, I hope we've been challenged tonight. God, I've, I've saw enough tonight to know this. I don't want to be here during the tribulation. And God, I'm so glad I'm not going to be. God, I'm glad when that first stage takes place, the rapture of the church, God, I'm glad I've been born again. And I'm glad, Lord, I'm going out. I'm glad I'm going up. I'm glad, Lord, that I'm going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall I ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. God, I pray for those young people that raise their hands tonight. And the Holy Spirit's beginning to deal with their, their heart. God, I pray that you'd bring them to that place of understanding. And I pray that soon and very soon they'd come to know the Lord. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd burden our hearts for our loved ones, for our kin, for our coworkers, for our neighbors. God, for those that we, uh, Lord, those that we are involved in sports with, those people that we work beside it at the job. God, I pray you'd give us a burden, Lord, to win souls to Jesus. God, have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, please, and we thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name.